This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 26. This is Writing Excuses, taking the chance with David Weber. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we have special guest star David Weber. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you for inviting me. David Weber is one of the best-selling science fiction writers of all time, so we are super excited to have him. And we are live again at SpikeCon. Um, so this topic was one that you suggested, David, the mm-hmm. idea of taking the chance, meaning taking risk with your writing. What made you want to do this topic? Well, it's not just taking risks with your writing once you're an established writer. Um, I cannot tell you how many people that I have encountered who I think could have been successful writers, except that they were afraid to take the chance of failing at something that they had dreamed about. I could have been published easily 10 years earlier than I was if I hadn't kept finding excuses to do other things instead. That means I've been publishing for 30 years, and I've lost a third of the time that I could have been published at this point. Um, I mentioned uh, in the pre-show when I was talking to to our hosts um, that there's a quote from John Paul Jones, which has become increasingly important to me over the years, and it has nothing to do with not giving up the ship. But Jones said that it seems to be a law inflexible unto itself that he who will not risk cannot win. So if you don't take the risk of failing as a writer, you can never succeed as a writer. And so you're sitting there, and you have this dream that says, I could be a writer. And perhaps you could. But if you keep saying, I could be a writer long enough, one day you wake up and it's turned into, I could have been a writer. But the opportunity is gone now. Okay? So if you want to write, you have got to take the chance of being rejected and possibly being rejected over and over again until you find the right first reader, the right publisher that says, oh, I can do this, okay? And you have to remember while you're doing this, you control, or writers in general control, a resource that publishers have to have. Publishers exist to publish. That means they need things to publish, which means that they are constantly on the lookout for things to publish. Yes, they got a lot of dreck, and there's the first reader's pile is the slush pile, and, you know, people read and they go, oh, my God. You know, I actually know of one book that was, sub- that was submitted on brown paper written in purple crayon. Okay? You don't get read when you do that kind of submission, but if you don't submit you cannot possibly make a sale. And, and I cannot emphasize, overemphasize how important it is to be willing to do that. The other thing that I think you need to bear in mind is you can learn to write better with editorial support and with the practice. You can learn to write better. But what you have to be to make it 
work in this business is a storyteller. You have to have that bug. You know, you can, you can increase the skill with which you, you exercise that need to be a storyteller, but that's a critical element. If you don't feel that inside, if you don't feel this story that, that needs, that's growing, that needs to come out, then you don't need to try and be an author because you're going to be fighting your own nature the entire time that you're trying to write a story unless that is what it is your nature to be. Birds got to fly, fish got to swim. Storytellers have to tell stories. And that's certainly true in my case. Um, Howard, you had something yeah, you wanted to Yeah, I was just going to, the, uh, I like the John Paul Jones quote. Um, we've, uh, We've had the opportunity to visit uh, NASA a couple of times, and they have that famous slogan, uh, you know, failure is not an option, mm -hmm. because there are times at which, boy, you just, you, you can't allow yourself to fail. I created a maxim within, uh, within my own universe, which is failure is not an option, it's mandatory. <laughs> the option is whether or not to let failure be the last thing you do. Yeah. And the idea there... Uh, I mean, that doesn't get you past the John Paul Jones quote, which is that you have to take that chance in the first, in the first mm -hmm. place. But I am always reminding myself that I am going to fail. It's just gonna happen. All I get to choose is whether or not I learn from it or yep. whether I let myself quit. Well, NASA's failure is not an option stands on the shoulders of every single thing they did that failed as they were doing the engineering. They, they blew up so many rockets. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Failure is not an option means that ultimately we must succeed. It doesn't mean that we won't have the occasional catastrophe yeah. along the way, that we won't have Columbia, that we yeah. won't have, you know. Um, but to your point about, yep. you know, the whole premise of this episode, if, if NASA had never done anything that could have failed, they never would have gotten into orbit. They never would have gotten on the moon. They exactly. had to be willing to take those risks and screw up horribly in order to achieve what they eventually have achieved. Oh, that's absolutely true. It's, okay, no task worth doing springs fully blown and fully performed from the brow of Zeus, mm -hmm. okay? You have to go out there and, and make it work, all right? Now, most of the successful writers that I know would write whether anyone was buying our work or not. We have to do it. That's part of that storytelling bug that I was mm -hmm. talking about, okay? Whether we're writing for our own entertainment, our family's entertainment, or just because, my God, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I can't sleep, I got to do some more writing, we write, and if you don't have that kind of, Robert Aspirin once said, and I'm, you know, Robert and I did not necessarily see together on all things, <laughs> but he said, um, successful authors are like rats. If we don't wear our fingers down on the keyboard every day, our fangs grow through our brains and kill us. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's still a valid metaphor, even though I use voice recognition software when I write now. Mm -hmm. But it's true. If, if you, you know, I have this need to be crafting stories. Okay. Um, now, for the last year or so, I haven't been. And that's because I face planted into a cement floor 
in Atlanta the day before DragonCon and gave myself a concussion, broke my nose in two places, stitches inside my mouth, the whole nine yards. And it has taken me effectively a year to recover from the concussion status to where I am once again really writing, okay? And it's been a real trial for me and for people who were expecting books from me and everything else. But sometimes the need to tell stories is sort of temporarily stymied by the fact that, you know what, my brain's not working. Mm-hmm. You know, one uh, of the first things that I learned about, I, I'm a web cartoonist, and one of the first things I learned in this regard was when I still had a day job, uh, early 2000s, we would take, I was in the software industry, we'd take two weeks off around Christmas because kind of the whole industry wound down. And for that two weeks, I told myself, my Christmas present to me is that I'm going to pretend I'm a cartoonist full time mm-hmm. and I'm just going to do this. And I would tell my plan to people and they're like, you're going to, you're going to pretend to have a job over Christmas? <laughs> What's, okay, one, you're a broken human. And mm-hmm. two, what does your family think? Um, and what I found is those are, those are some of my fondest memories of this. And yeah, storyteller got a, stu- got a, got a story tell. There comes a time, um, you know, in a given project or whatever, where it turns into work, where you have to drive yourself to it. And you have to do that. I have, in every book, I have what I call the chapter. And that's the point at which I say, this entire book is dreck. What was I thinking? Oh, my God, I can't get this to come together. And the only thing that I can do is just keep grinding it out and saying, boy, this is sucky. Okay, kind of thing. Then when I get to the final edit, I can't identify the chapter. I was going to say, you've refined your process to the point that only happens for one chapter during a project? <laughs> no, that's, that, that, pretty much, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of thing. Winning. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's well, go ahead and, oh, go, let's yep. stop. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. First... Uh, Book yep. of the week, and then we'll get back to it. Okay. Um, do you have our book or books of the week this week? Um, I have two. Um, one is the uh, the Gordian Protocol, which came out in May with uh, Jacob Holo, uh, who is a BMW engineer in an alternate universe. Um, and um, I think that our our backgrounds, the synergy was really, really good. Uh, he's got uh, three or four self-published novels out. This will be his first traditionally published novel, is his first traditionally published novel. And um, this was not one of the two I was thinking about, but he has just handed me the draft of The Valkyrie Protocol, which is the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's pretty much ready to go. Um, uh, we have to wait for him to get a hiatus in that real-life job to do a little tweaking that I pointed out to him. The other book that um, I've just handed in is the sequel to Out of the Dark, which, yes, is the one with vampires in it. Um, and uh, this one is uh, rather cleverly titled Into the Light. Um, and um, I did it with uh, Chris Kennedy 
of the Four Horsemen universe and whatnot. He was my co-author on it. Um, and I'm really pleased with the way that it worked out. Uh, the vampires are a little um, flamboozled when they begin finding out some things about their own past and their own existence that neither they nor the earlier writers who didn't like the vampires didn't know. Okay, and for you know, I won't go any deeper into it than that. But suffice it to say that uh, Vlad Tepish was a tiny bit mistaken about exactly how and what he became when he became it. Excellent. Um, this, uh, this topic's very interesting to me because I work um, with a lot of aspiring writers. Um, I teach the university and, of course, the podcast and things like this. And um, looking back at myself, when I was first making the choice to, you know, start writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I think holds back new writers, and I've kind of found some language that I can describe this more recently, is that for me, there was this beautiful book, I imagine, somewhere out in the aether, right? It was like the platonic ideal of a book. Mm-hmm. And um, as having read for many years and sitting down to write the first time, it was like I knew this book was out there, but then my crude fingers could not get that book on the page. And it was really frustrating to me mm-hmm. um, because it, it felt like like it wasn't fear that I think stopped me. It was the sense that I was taking something beautiful and I was making it something flawed and terrible because my skill wasn't good enough. And I found multiple other aspiring writers that kind of have the same attitude that, you know, less fear, more like, I guess I must... Pr- I must not have done enough world building or I must not have thought it through enough because this beautiful story, I just can't make it come out on the page. So I guess my question to you is um, strategies for writers who are having trouble making that transition, taking that chance, um, giving themselves permission to fail. um, What are some strategies that people could use to do that? Write the damn book. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, and, and, and when, you're, when you're done, if it's not what you thought you were going to come up with, file it under this was a learning experience. These are the things that I can see that I did wrong and do those right in the next book. I have an entire file cabinet at home that has probably 300 short stories in it that were written solely because there were things that I wanted to play with as a writer, how was I going to describe this? How was I going to handle this bit of characterization? Um, and you basically, this is one of those crafts that the only way you can learn to do it is to do it. There's not a credential program somewhere that is going to say, okay, now you have a diploma, you'll go out there and you'll be a successful writer. Okay. There are all kinds of courses that you can take and training that you can seek that will help you give you tools that you might not have otherwise. But there's nobody out there who can teach you how to be a writer. Anybody who says, we will teach you how to be a writer is taking your money, okay? Because what they can do is they can teach you how they are a writer. They can teach you how these three guys over here are writers. They can't teach you how you're a writer, okay? Characterization, all right? Characterization is a critical component of any story you're going to tell. How do you build a character? Okay. One of the things that I do when I'm doing writing workshops is I roll up a character from one of the role-playing game series, and I tell my, my, my students, I say, okay, this is the character that you have. This is the age, the gender, everything else. Go home 
And between now and the next session, write me an explanation for why this character exists with these skills, these abilities, these disabilities. And they frequently turn it into what is actually a very good short story, okay, in getting at who this character is. That's the kind of thing that you have to be able to build on your own. I can give you that assignment and tell you to go home and do it, but I can't say to you, and the first way that you should do it is by doing this and so, because the best that you could learn from that is how I do it. And what makes a writer succeed is that writer's voice. You can take exactly the same story, the exact same plot, even the exact same characters by name, okay, and have two different writers do the story. You have two totally different stories. Absolutely. And one of them is going to be the way that you tell the story, and one of them is going to be the way that somebody else tells the story. What makes you a successful writer is your voice finding its audience. And you cannot do that trying to be someone else. You have mm-hmm. to be you. Yeah. I, uh, finding that voice of your own is critical and it is difficult. And I like to think about this in terms of Ender's Game. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they had the kids in the battle school and they would fight against each other. And then there's this really critical scene towards the end of it where Bean stands up in the lunchroom and says, Guys... We are doing the same strategies over and over and over. And we will never learn anything new until we give ourselves the freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. And that's when they kind of throw out the whole competition system and they say, okay, we're going to try this. And it probably will be awful, but we'll learn something from it. Yeah. And so I imagine, you know, someone out there listening to this podcast thinking, you know, lack of risk taking is not my problem. I've tried everything I can think of and it's, I'm just not selling anything, maybe what you need to do is something ridiculous. Maybe you need to change genre. Maybe you need to try something new. Maybe you need to put that big golden book that Brandon was talking about, that idealized thing that you have in mind, put that on a shelf and write something different. Okay, let me tell you one of the most critical things that you should bear in mind as a writer. Write the story that interests you. They say, you know, write what you know. Well, I don't know anybody who's been a starship captain, okay? I'm sorry, you know, there just aren't too many of them around for me to go interview, you know, kind of thing. But if there's a type of story that is especially suited to you, that you enjoy reading, et cetera, point number one, you're not unique. That means there are other people who enjoy reading that same sort of story. It may not be what's currently hot, But publishers don't necessarily look for what's currently hot. They look for what they expect to be durable. Some publishers do. They want to push you into writing whatever is selling right now. Avoid them. Okay? I'm sorry, but you should. Okay? Now, if they say, we'll pay you a stack of money to write it, then you can say to yourself, okay, they'll pay me a stack of money, I'll get some practice writing, and, you know, then I'll be able to go do what I want to do. But point number one, if you like it, other people will like it. Point number two is, if you like it, you will write it better than something you are writing that you feel that you have to write in order to be hot, in order to sell your work, okay? And point number three is, publishers are constantly looking for things to publish. 
Now, some publishers, for whatever combination of, of, of reasons, have blinders on, or at least blinkers. Okay, maybe it's like, you know, I don't agree with the political philosophy in that book. There's all kinds of, 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 of idiosyncratic factors that can come into play. But the bottom line is publishers need stuff to publish. Keith Lawmer once said, there's not the great unsold novel. There's only the great unwritten novel because if you write it and it is good and you submit it long enough, you will sell it because publishers are looking for things to publish. The editor who discovered Thomas Wolfe, Thomas Wolfe had been rejected about eight or nine dozen times, okay? And then this guy found, discovered Thomas Wolfe and, and made his entire career out of the fact that he was the guy who had discovered Thomas Wolfe. And he was asked by another editor at one point, the guy said, I read the first quarter of a million words and it sucked, you know, where did you realize and he said, about word 300,000, <laughs> okay? And what I'm saying to you is that eventually, if what you have done is publishable, it will, find a, it will find a buyer. And sometimes, even if what you have done isn't punishable, publishable, punishable, there is, you know. <laughs> I've read some punishable books slip, before. You know, but, but even if what you have written in its current format isn't publishable, Sometimes you'll get that little comment back that will tell you why it wasn't. More often than not, you'll get a form letter that says, you know, I'm sorry, what you, it doesn't really meet our needs at this moment, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes you'll get that little flicker of a response that, and you go, oh. Now, I've been doing this. I, I've supported myself as a writer since I was 17, and I'm 67 this year. So I've been, right, I've been earning my living pushing words around for 50 years, okay? I've been a published novelist for, well, we sold the first, I sold the first book in April 1989. So this is the 30th year mm -hmm. since, since I sold the first book. In the course of that time, I like to think I've learned a few things, okay? There are some very simple things that an author, okay, for example, any aspiring author should realize that the most important word in any sentence is the verb. Choose your verbs wisely. Don't say, he came quickly to his feet. Say, he leapt to his feet. He jerked to his feet. He jerked upright, okay? Um, never use an ing verb when you can avoid it unless you want the voice of what you're writing to be passive, all right? Never bury dialogue inside a paragraph. If there's dialogue in the paragraph, start the paragraph with the dialogue and arrange the internal mechanics to make that work, okay? Don't worry about choppy paragraphs. Worry about where you want to direct the reader's eye. You're setting the cadence. You're creating the rhythm. Maybe you need short, choppy sentences and paragraphs at this point. Maybe you need one-line paragraphs for emphasis. Okay, maybe, maybe the, the one-line paragraph that you need is, and the world blew up, okay, because you're in the middle of a combat situation, there's a missile incoming, you, the character you're writing about doesn't know it, and, and there, there's combat chatter, and they're saying we're under fire, and the character's turning around, then the world blew up as a separate paragraph. So think about those sorts of things when you're writing, and that's not a question of my telling you to write in my voice because these are things that any writer can profit from 
in the way that they construct and craft sentences, and sentences are what you build books out of. And we could probably sit here for another hour and listen to this because these are excellent points, um, but we are out of time. Um, uh, I want to thank our audience at SpikeCon. Thank you, guys. I want to thank Mr. Weber for coming on the podcast. Do you have a writing prompt you can give to our listeners? A writing prompt? Yes. Something to do. I would say go home and create a character. Okay? And not one that you set out to build because this is going to go in your story, but give yourself the assignment of taking a character that you didn't create because you rolled it up or whatever. And then build your, the, in your world-building Bible, in your tech Bible, whatever. Build why that character is who that character is. Because stories are about characters. And if the character is not interesting to the reader, the story will go nowhere. And if the character is not interesting to you and understood by you, you will not be able to communicate it to the reader. And your characters will still, if you do this long enough, the characters will evolve in the storytelling, and they should. So as the life experience of that character is shared with your readers in multiple books, you have to understand how that character changes and incorporate it. Characters are what stories are about. Sentences are how you tell the story. Get those two things right, and the story will usually succeed. A weak story that is well told will succeed where a strong story that is weakly told fails. Awesome. I don't know that we could put it better than that. So this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.